Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Beginning next year, the recreational use of marijuana will be mostly legal here in Illinois. But there are a lot of people behind bars now for things that won't be a crime a year from now. Getting justice and relief for those people will take some doing. And this week, we're going to talk with a woman leading a team that is doing it. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. My guest this weekend is not a stranger to this studio, though she has had another job, at least she did the last time she was here. Esther Franco-Payne is the executive director of Cabrini-Green Legal Aid, an organization with a portfolio broader than its name implies. Uh, CGLA serves previously underserved communities of color with legal aid and advocacy. Ms. Franco-Payne is an acknowledged expert in violence prevention and juvenile justice and criminal justice advocacy. She is a member of the Illinois Juvenile Justice Commission, which reports to the governor and the General Assembly. She's worked with Cook County Board President Tony Preckwinkle in Chicago Metropolis 2020. And most notably, she was an official with the Illinois Justice Project, working with the renowned Paula Wolf. That's when we met her. Esther Franco-Payne, welcome back. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me here today. Oh, it's always a pleasure. But first, tell us a bit about what... Cabrini Green Legal Aid is and and, and really how its mission has evolved. Mm -hmm. So Cabrini Green Legal Aid is an organization that was founded in 1973 to serve the legal needs of the Cabrini Green community. People often ask us, what is it that we do today? Because there is no more traditional Mm -hmm. Cabrini Green as we knew it. But we certainly like to advocate for the people and the needs that existed then recognizing that they still exist today. So we assist people in a variety of ways as it relates to their legal needs. And most recently in 2014, our organization went through a strategic planning process in which we then focused our attention solely on the criminal justice population. So for us, we are the only legal aid in the state of Illinois that solely focuses its attention to that population. Uh, and uh, presumably there's a lot of work that it's, it's uh, you know, sadly, it's a growth, it's a growth bit of work, isn't it? It surely, it surely is. Um, we provide criminal records relief. So we focus on expungements and sealings and clemencies and alternative forms of relief. We have three help desks throughout the city of Chicago, one at the Daily Center, one at the Juvenile Court, which we collaborate with LAC, Legal Aid Chicago on that one, and one at the Markham Courthouse. Um, That would consist of our criminal records relief services. And then we also provide civil services focused on family and housing law. All of those services related to the person's criminal background as a result of arrest or incarceration. And let's talk a little bit about that because, I mean, just explain for people who aren't, you know, don't know, what are the kinds of things that people are seeking when they come to you? Yes. Uh, I mean, who people who 
have a criminal record. Mm -hmm. So most often our clients are coming to us at a moment of crisis. They have either just been rejected by an employer um, in their, you know, opportunity to seek employment. They are um, either being evicted from housing or being threatened with eviction as it relates to CHA and probably having um, some type of interaction with the law. Um, People are losing their children as a result of their criminal background or engagement with the law, particularly those clients that we serve who are facing incarceration. So most often their parental rights are in jeopardy. Um, We have clients that um, we do serve through a small defense practice, so there may be some defense issues. And we are typically trying to find ways to support our clients to achieve some sort of stability and move beyond that crisis moment. I mean, there are going to be a lot of people who will say somebody who uh, has a theft uh, record, for example, mm-hmm. well, I don't know if I want that person in my store. Yes. Uh, so I su- suspect that a number of people find a logic in saying, well, this kind of job they can't have. What's the, first off, what's the argument that you can make for them? And also, what's the effect of this kind of thing on people who have had run-ins with the law? Yes, people face significant barriers as a result of their criminal backgrounds. We know that one in three people in Illinois and the entire state, yes, (laughs) have had some interaction with the law. Um, And people typically do not know or understand that regardless if they had not received a full court disposition or have not gone to jail or have been incarcerated, that their record still exists. So once you have an arrest, you have a record. It might not have gone anywhere, but that record, which can be found by employers or landlords or others who are checking your background, can still create barriers. So there are significant issues that our clients face when they are trying to access employment, education, and housing. And for people who are, um, I guess, you know, sometimes, if especially if they've had jail sentences, returning uh, citizens, they may be trying to reestablish their lives, mm-hmm. and they can't. Yes, They certainly can't. We have over 40,000 collateral consequences in the United States that prevent people from um, moving on with their lives. There are several, several, several thousands of laws that tell us what we cannot do as a result of arrest or incarceration. And unfortunately, when employers are reviewing backgrounds and doing those checks, it's much like a credit check. Right. It's discombobulated. There are lots of information that, you know, is presenting itself, which might be historically out of context or just jumbled. If you think about the traditional credit report, which oftentimes people can't read, (laughs) um, it's the same when you look at a background check. And so um, it it really hurts a person when um, people are not educated on what a background check consists of what it looks like, what does it actually mean when you are seeing things, how do you understand the difference between an arrest versus a conviction. Um, Some of those things can look one and the same. And um, what does that actually do or mean for the position that a person is applying for? So in that vein, we do try to provide some type of training 
and or um, public awareness information for employers to be able to understand a criminal background when they are using that to make hiring decisions and or housing decisions. And this brings up why expungement is uh, a major uh, yes. issue here uh, and explain what the, what that does. Yes. So expungement completely removes the record. And that applies solely most often to low level offenses. A ceiling is the opportunity for you to hide your record from public view. And that applies to, you know, more major offenses. And then you can be granted a pardon, which is a clemency. And that's when you have to go through the governor, through the um, prisoner review board, and then on to the governor for the governor to say that we are clearing you of the responsibility of that previous, you know, infraction. And with expungement, it means when someone searches uh, your criminal history, it doesn't come up and it is as if you had none. It is if you had, you did not have that record. Yes. Um, talk a little bit about why and how uh, CLG, uh, CGLA uh, gets involved in policy and advocacy. I mean, yes. So policy and advocacy for us is really um, the recognition that we can't help each and every person individually in the state of Illinois. Although we would very much love to do that, (laughs) it is impossible. We have over 4 million people in the state that have been touched by the criminal justice system in some way, fashion, or form. And how many people do you have at the uh, We serve um, about six to 7,000 individuals annually. And how many staff do you have? We have 40 staff and about 20, I think we're up at up to 25 lawyers at this point. Mm -hmm. Uh, So then what are you doing when it comes to advocacy? So our advocacy is really um, based upon the needs of our clients. And so with the 7,000, 6,000 to 7,000 clients that we serve annually, each year we take a look at the data. We are informing ourselves of the issues that our clients are facing and what that looks like. And we don't do that in isolation, but in partnership. And so we work with a lot of advocates in the field um, to sort of discuss and talk about what the issues are that communities are facing. And the unique thing about CGLA and some of our partners is that we have a table um, of people with lived experiences, people who have been impacted by the criminal justice system. At CGLA, we call that table the Leadership Council. And those are individuals who have either experienced this, you know, personally and or had a family member or people who just want to get involved coming from the community. And so they also inform the policy agenda and they lead it. And so they very much take the reins in terms of collecting the stories um, about people who are impacted, what that looks like. And we together go to Springfield to advocate for certain types of legislation to remove barriers for people. Um, We've been successful in several instances over the last few years. We were able to expand ceiling. And so prior to 2017, only nine offenses were eligible to be hidden from public view, to be sealed. Um, And as a result of the legislation that we were able to to pass, only four are now restricted. Hmm. So we've opened up the floodgates for people to be able to be eligible to have their records sealed. There is still discretion in that process. The judge still has to make the decision, but at least people have a chance now 
to go before the courts um, to have their records sealed. Um, are you are you finding that you're? Uh, I mean, are you also working on the county uh, levels? Because I know, uh, for example, Cook County recently passed something that keeps landlords from using uh, uh, criminal records mm-hmm. to bar someone from renting an apartment. Yes. We certainly haven't, um, we support those types of efforts at the county level. We've not led or been integrally involved um, in, in the times of advocacy and where testimonies and things are needed. We do contribute to that process, but as a result of that and how those things inform each other, we were also able to pass legislation at the state level um, for how to provide guidance for how landlords should consider records when making housing decisions. And we called it housing as a human right because it is a human right for people to be housed. So the governor also recently signed that bill in August. All right. Well, uh, before we get into some specific uh, issues, uh, let's talk about what uh, coming up this week you will have is the uh, Bill Leslie Visionary Award that uh, your organization is going to be given out and giving out at a benefit dinner. Um, who's getting it and why? Yes. So um, this year's 2019 Bill Leslie Visionary Award will go to Brother Raymond. He is one of our leadership council members. He is a phenomenal leader. He um, is someone who was in and out of the system. He tells his story very eloquently about the Um, types of issues he faced growing up and, you know, being in the lifestyle of crime and violence Um, and what it really meant for him to think about how he would change his life and create positive impact for others. And so each year we try to honor one of our um, former clients or leadership council members who are making positive contributions to to the community um, so that people can see and have a face right, for what it really looks like when you give people opportunities and provide them with the support that they need. And so Brother Raymond is a perfect example of that. And we'll be giving him a special award on Thursday, September 26th. (laughs) Um, And you're also recognizing uh, some lawmakers? Yes. (laughs) Um, So as part of our um, Visionary Award, we are also recognizing the four marijuana moms as they've been, um, you know, titled. Yes, they, they have, <laughs> we, we should say that they that is a name they gave themselves. They gave themselves, yes. Um, and so that's funny. But they are joining us. We have And these traveled. are the four lawmakers, uh, I believe two senators, two? Two senators, two, two representatives. representatives. So they we have traveled alongside of them as, as they taken this journey towards passing the new Cannabis Act. So those legislators are um, Senator Kelly, um, Senator Heather Staines, Senator um, Kelly Toy Cass- Hush- Hutchison, Toy- Representative right, Kelly Cassidy, and Representative Jahan Gordon Booth. Okay, that's and they uh, they are are quite quite the team. Yes, uh, <laughs> and we are recognizing them for their contribution to this effort, their leadership of this effort, um, as it relates to the social equity component of the bill that allows for people to have past marijuana convictions um, expunged. And we are going to talk about that in just a few seconds. You are listening 
to WBBM News Radio's At Issue. I'm political editor Craig Delamore. My guest is Esther Franco Payne. She is the executive director of Cabrini Green Legal Aid and uh, uh, CGLA. is I keep getting the letters mixed up. <laughs> you this could is just say my, Cabrini Green. <laughs> yeah, because I keep mistyping it is the problem. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, they are partners with the County of Cook in, in fact, the, what's going to be a major effort to uh, get people's records wiped clean. Um, for people who have been uh, out of touch for some time, recreational marijuana becomes legal January 1 of 2020. Uh, making that happen and setting up the ground rules for the sale and consumption of cannabis and what is and isn't a crime will be mostly taking place in government, but the law says people convicted of crimes that are no longer crimes can have their criminal records wiped clean. This is a big deal. Uh, I mean, this, in terms of numbers, this is a really big deal. Yes, this is um, a huge opportunity to repair the harm that has been caused Um on the backs of black and brown people who are impacted by the criminal justice system. And so the fact that we are passing this bill to allow for recreational use, um, there has to be some kind of reparation given to those people who have served time and whose lives have been destroyed, so to speak, um, as it relates to this issue and people having been arrested and overcriminalized, and you know we could go down the gamut of what the impact has been. Well, and I do want to talk a little about about that before we talk about the uh, the mechanical task ahead of you, mm-hmm. um, because you were this is what you were dealing with at the Illinois Justice Project. Yes, uh, when when we first met, mm-hmm. people jailed for low level crimes. Um, uh, are and, and very often on high, at least for them, bail, uh, were most often African-American and Latino people, uh, disproportionate to the types of crime sometimes. So getting people out from behind bars and back into society, uh, this doesn't just have an effect on those people. It has an effect on their communities too, does it not? Absolutely. I mean, how is this a bigger problem than people may see when they see a person just trying to get their own, you know, record cleaned. But this is more than that. Mm-hmm. I mean, can you talk about the effect that these kinds of drug policies that did put more people behind bars have had on the community? Yes. These types of policies have certainly, what we term the war on drugs, right, have certainly dismantled families, dismantled communities, have prevented people from the opportunity to effectively reenter communities after jail or imprisonment and really get their lives back on track. So in some ways, you can almost deem this as um, a systemic harm that is irreversible. And so one step in the right direction is to allow for this automatic expungement. It's not everything. I think it is one step. Um, And I think it is a recognition of the harm that has been done. Um, But certainly when a person goes to jail for a low-level offense like what we are now um, offering up opportunities to be free of that, you can see the repercussions of that, the implications of that. Access to jobs, access to housing, access to education, anything 
that has to do with repairing your life is automatically shut off for and, a person. And, and I will say it because I know you wouldn't want to. Uh, and that is that if someone can't get a job, mm-hmm. can't find housing, yes, uh, and is in, in essentially shunned because of their criminal record, their options are pretty their limited. Their options are severely limited. And there's also a generational impact there, right? When you yeah. cannot take care of your family, when your kids are watching you and you're not able to effectively care for them in the ways that you would like to because of the collateral consequences of your background. Yeah, and that does not lower crime. Right. It certainly so, does not. Um, so Lots of lessons to be learned there. Yes. And so things are starting to change. Let's talk about the expungement because, first off, explain what's entailed in a person getting a record for something like a marijuana conviction uh, expunged. Yes. So... Under the new act, um, people will have the opportunity to expunge misdemeanor and class four felonies. And what's class four mean, just so we can... Class four is the lowest level of felony. So it's four, three, two, one, and then X. Okay. Um, (laughs) X and one being the highest, of course. Um, But they will have the opportunity to, um, you know, remedy the class four felonies through expungement. Um, And so there are three pathways that are available as the law has been written. Um, There is a first pathway for non-convictions, and that will be the automatic expungement. So, you know, the Illinois State Police are are going to be responsible for that. And their goal is to sift through the hundreds of records that are eligible to move them through automatic expungement. And the law has accounted for um, a certain amount of records to be erased expunged annually for the next five years. And so they are starting with the first grouping that is within seven years. Um, So if you have a record between now and seven years, 2012, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think your record will go through. If it is eligible to be automatically expunged, it will be in that group. And then it'll, and then each year they'll keep going earlier and earlier. Yes. So, so the, the the first shall be last, and the last shall be first yes. almost exactly. Yes. Um, well, all right, that's one okay, way. Okay, so that's the first pathway. The next pathway is the pardon process, which will um, go through the Prisoner Review Board, and then the Prisoner Review Board will review those records, and then those records will go to the governor for pardon. Um, that too is somewhat of an automatic process in that the person does not have to petition. Um, actually the state's attorney has, um, a role in this part of the process in which the state's attorney can present the records before the prisoner review board, um, if they are eligible within this, within this category. And those are typically, um, some of the crimes that are focused on, possession and or manufacturing and delivery with, you know, intent. And um, some of those that are focused on 30 grams or less, right. if I can make myself clear. <laughs> yeah. So, so in other words, it's relatively low possession. Relatively low level offenses. Yes. And um, in that process, the Prisoner Review Board does have discretion. So mm-hmm. the Prisoner Review Board can also... They know we're not sending this mm-hmm. record through. It's not eligible or, you know, what have you. So the third 
pathway would be where a person would have to self-petition because their record is a little bit higher. But people have to be mindful that you cannot have violent arrest on your record or any sentencing enhancements. So if those are present in addition to the record, then those records could be denied. Now, where does uh, where does uh, Cabrini Green Legal Aid come in? Yes, so Cabrini Green will focus on the third pathway where people would have to self petition. So we very much want to be able to support people in the process of accessing expungement um, with legal support because it's going to be difficult and challenging, just as it is today. Um, it doesn't change how you get your records expunged. It just changes the type of record that is eligible for expungement. Hmm. Uh, now, this is this is a gargantuan job, right? I mean, do you do you do you know the numbers for how many people are out there? I, I mean, I know it's tens of thousands at least, right? Uh, but but how how does it even begin? I mean, I know there's a contractor, and can and, and can you just talk a little bit about the fact that there's there's help? I mean, the, there's you've got a group that's doing the numbers crunching here. Yes. Um, we know that the Sentencing Policy Advisory Council, which is a state research entity, was responsible for um, issuing the numbers based on research and going through um, the criminal record system. And so the last number that we had was around the 700,000 mark mm-hmm. in terms of eligible records. Um, about 400,000 of those would be eligible for the automatic expungement processes. I don't know between automatic versus the pardon process, but at least 400 fits in those first two pathways. And then the remainder would go into the last bucket for people who need to self-petition. But I'm not sure that those numbers um, still stand as they are because lots of work has been done since the time the legislation was actually signed. And so I know that state government and other partners are still sifting through those numbers and trying to make sure that we have what makes sense. And I talked to the uh, state's attorney's office uh, shortly before we, uh, we started talking, and they said they are only just now getting the information from the, pol- the state police yes. that they need to, uh, to start doing the work. So. Yes. So it's a long process. There's many stakeholders that will be involved. As you already heard me say, you have the Illinois State Police, you have the Prisoner Review Board, you know, then there's the courts and the clerks and the state's attorneys. So there are a lot of um, state level stakeholders that need to be involved in this process and collaborate and coordinate to make it work. So lots of work to be done prior to the implementation of the law in January. And um, I know that the state police has to have the records ready by December 22nd or something like that. <laughs> um, so now for people who are affected by this in one way or the other, um, and this will probably be about the last thing we talk about, what should they be doing? What should they be doing? Yeah. Right now people should be going to 35th and Michigan if you live in the city of Chicago to access your record. That is the first thing. Um, and the reason I say that is because there are some gaps in the legislation around notification. And so if, in fact, people will be eligible for the automatic pathway, there's nothing right now that will tell them 
whether or not their record has been automatically expunged. So it would behoove us, you know, individuals and partners and community organizations, um, it would behoove us to support individuals in accessing their records so they know exactly what's on it. And then following that automatic expungement process, they can then check for the proof that it has been erased. Uh, and all of that can be gotten at uh, at uh, yeah. So you uh, just uh, if you had <laughs> yes, if you had an arrest in the city of Chicago, then you should go to thirty thirty fifth in Michigan. It costs sixteen dollars to access your rap sheets. Um, you go down there, you apply, you take your fingerprints, and then you come back in a day or so to pick it up. If you've been arrested outside of the city of Chicago, you should go to the local law enforcement agency. That's going to be the final word. That is Esther Franco-Payne, the executive director of Cabrini Green Legal Aid. Thank you for coming back and spending this time with us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you. Uh, To our listeners, if you would like a copy of this program or just to hear it again, please visit our website. That is WBBMNewsRadio.com. You can also find our podcasts on Radio.com. I will be back next week with another edition of At Issue, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com.